Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Fitter, Healthier Dad podcast, where you can learn how to improve your diet, lose fat, and get fitter in a sustainable and fun way without spending hours in the gym. Here is your host, Darren Kirby. This is episode 14 of the Fitter, Healthy Dad podcast, and in today's show, we're going to be talking about the increasing popular subject of nutrition and how nutrition and food fundamentally affects our overall health and well-being. Joining me on the podcast today is someone who is hugely qualified to talk about the subject. It's none other than the medicinal chef, Dale Pinnock. Dale has been in the nutrition industry for over 25 years. He's studied and read over a thousand books on the subject. He's a Sunday Times bestselling author and regularly appears on national TV here in the UK. Dale, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Thank you. Very well. I'm, I'm enjoying this uh, autumn sunshine we're getting. So, you know what? It's uh, nice. I'm kind of sat in my office now looking out the window and it looks great. It's nice yeah. when, when the sun's out, but I hate the hot weather in this country. I love it when Do I'm you? overseas, but this right. country is murder. <laughs> yeah, we're just kind of not set up for it, really, and we're not conditioned for it either, are we? And it, we, we all kind of yearn for the kind of hot weather. And when, then when it comes, it's just something else to moan about. <laughs> That was what we do best, though. It's, it's it's hardwired in our DNA. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think the British more than anyone, to be honest. But uh, yeah, we, we we seem to be quite uh, experts at that. So um, yeah, so thanks very much for joining me today. I know you're a hugely busy guy. We've just been having that discussion off air, and um, yeah, so I really appreciate and respect you giving me your time to appear on the show. Not at all, thank so, you. So for, for people that maybe haven't come across you before or heard of you, mm. can you kind of give us a bit of background into yourself and the medicinal chef? Yeah, totally. I mean, I've, as, as you rightly said, I've been in this industry for 25 years now, since uh, since the 90s. And obviously yeah. back then, you know, in the middle of the rave scene, eating healthy <laughs> probably wasn't the number one thing on people's minds. And when you spoke about nutrition, people sort of looked at you like you were from another planet. It's like, yeah. oh, what, you want to lose weight? That was kind of the only yeah. part of the discussion around nutrition that existed then. Um, the reason I got into it is because I had really bad acne from the age of about... 10 or 11 it's the summer of leaving primary school to go up to secondary school uh that time in your life when you just start to become conscious of yourself in relation to your peers and i started breaking out like nothing you were you've ever seen before like i've been shot in the face with a blunderbuss it wasn't pretty and i tried all sorts of lotions and potions went to lots of different doctors and specialists nothing really worked and then someone let me a book, and it was a book called Fit for Life by Harvey Diamond, which obviously if you read it now, it's a little bit far-fetched. But back then, it was yeah. like a real cult classic health book. Mm-hmm. And um, said to me, look, unless you change what's going on on the inside, nothing's going to change on the outside. And obviously, as a, as a 15-year-old boy, I was just like, yeah, whatever. But I read this, <laughs> to be honest, I was so desperate if they right. told me to like run outside at midnight on a full moon wrapped in tinfoil and it would get rid of the spots, I'd have done it. <laughs> Right. So I read this thing cover to cover in a weekend okay. and that was the aha moment. That was that real light bulb moment that we can actively engage in our own healthcare. There's steps that we can take and it doesn't have to be a passive process. And then 
yeah, as you said, in the first sort of year to 18 months, I, I read over a thousand books, uh, locked myself away. Cause I mean, I was always a bit, a bit of a social misfit anyway. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I sort of grew up in like graffiti gangs and pirate radio and all that kind of stuff. I was always a little bit of a, a, a kind of a, a, an outlandish one. So yeah. I was happy to lock myself away and, and do what I needed to do to, to kind of get the result that I wanted and just read and read and read, used myself as a guinea pig and, the subject completely gripped me. I, I mucked about at school. I didn't get any any real education to speak about. I got a few GCSEs, but yeah. I was more interested in, you know, sitting at the back of the field smoking weed in those days. And I mucked about. I didn't have any kind of real passion. But as I got a bit older and I was studying this subject and really getting into it, it was the only thing that ever moved me in my life. The only thing that actually made me want to dedicate myself to it. And yeah. that's when I decided to go to university. But obviously I had to make up some old ground for larking around yeah. and I had to do like my access course and all that kind of stuff. Did my first degree in human nutrition. And towards the end of that degree, I was getting more interested in plant biochemistry and uh, the thing in foods that aren't nutrients per se, but that can still deliver um, pharmacological benefits. We say, you know, the phytochemicals and these active constituents that yeah. you find in plants. And the only place you could study that at that time, I mean, now it's included in, in all nutrition degrees, but back then it was a herbal medicine degree. So I did my second degree in herbal medicine at Westminster. And then from there went on to do the master's in nutritional medicine at Surrey, which I, I know, you know, you spoke to Rupi recently. He's yeah. just started that course. So he's getting to see the hell on earth that it is. It's a tough course. Um, <laughs> And, and yeah, and, and here I am today. I've I've been cooking all my life as well. I've been cooking since I was about four years old, thanks to my mum. Like she, as soon as me and my sister were old enough, she would get us in the kitchen, helping her to prepare the family meals. So preparing food and cooking has never been alien to me. And when I when I first left school and whilst I was at university, I worked in kitchens uh, to support myself um and, and got experience on the job never never trained in, in any kind of culinary arts but i think it's one of those things you can either do it or you can't and anyone can learn to cook i think um and the preparation of food just seemed like such an obvious delivery system for the information it's like if you're talking about nutrition and diet and changes that people need to make if you're doing a PowerPoint presentation, for some people, that's completely going to butter their muffin. For others, it's going to bore them to tears. For most people, it's going to bore them to tears, and it's not applicable. You start to put that information into a practical framework, i.e. showing people what to eat, then all of a sudden, it's information they can use. And that's really the the, the crux of everything that I do now. It's, it's getting back to evidence-based information delivered in a way that people can start to apply it so they can make meaningful change to their life and also delivering information in a way that demystifies this hellish yeah um dichotomous contradictory subject yeah i think it's it is fascinating and 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 like i said in my intro you know the ever popular subject of nutrition which which sounds ridiculous right because nutrition has been around since the beginning of time but it, it very much seems now like I get. I guess with the evolution of the internet and stuff like that, and, and YouTube, everything's becoming much more accessible. There's a lot more easily, more consumable, understandable information out there, yeah. and I think that people are starting to question stuff. Um, and I think that the proof, pardon the pun, the proof is in the pudding. Yeah. Once you start to make those changes, as you said. You know, it has such a profound effect. And we say, you know, learning about nutrition, understanding nutrition, 
And, and like I said to you before, is that some people are just, oh, well, food is food. It's so not. <laughs> once you start to get it right, um, not that you're probably getting it wrong at the moment, but once you're starting to get the foods that suit you as a person, yeah. the change is just unbelievable. And and I think, you know, the, the other thing is um, you know, once you start to learn it, you, you then start to chip away and you want to learn more and more and more. And that's definitely been, been the case for me. Um, I think it's it's fascinating, you know, you as a as a young lad at eleven years old actually took this on and and consumed it all. Um, but it's yeah, for me, it's just it. I mean, I didn't come to the. I only came to this about six seven years ago. And like I said to you before, for me, it was just like once I got the nutrition right, and it was completely uh, unconscious at the time. Mm. It was definitely like a cloud had been lifted. A lot of people talk about brain fog and stuff like that, but it was definitely like that. And ever since then. I've been completely obsessed by this stuff, yeah. um, and you know, some of the, you know, a lot of the the content that you're putting out, a lot of the content that that, that Rupi puts out as well, is just it's 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 information that you can just take, you know, just from likes of Instagram, the stuff that you put on Instagram, you can just take that, put it into your own kitchen, and start cooking and make a make a difference. So, yeah, it's I think we're in a golden age, to be honest. We are, and I, I think you're you're right at what you said that people are starting to question it. I mean, a few years ago, um, maybe 2015, around about that kind of time, it really went through a mass explosion. Instagram really kind of hit its critical mass, and there were glossy head, yoga pant wearing, green drink wielding influencers coming at us from every feasible direction. Now, yeah. I'm not dissing those people. I'm not having a go at them. No. It's just like I'm, I'm having it. I'm, I've, I've kind of got issue with the industry that gave them the spotlight. Okay. Yeah. Because weirdly, I mean, I always knew that nutrition was going to explode as a subject because it's such an obvious part of, of, of self-care and, yeah. you know, the evidence base was evolving and, it was something that always had a lot of interest around it. I knew that it was going to become a very, very mainstream thing. And especially when we had TV shows like You Are What You Eat and stuff like that. I remember being at one of the, one of the health shows in London and Gillian McKeith was there. Um, oh, God, don't. But, yeah, she was there. She was signing books. And people were queuing around the block. So there was a real – I could see what was coming. I knew this day was coming. But then with social media, nutrition suddenly weirdly became entwined with fashion. And it yeah. became like this aspirational lifestyle. How in God's name did kale become aspirational? It's very, very bizarre. Yeah. But all of a sudden, yeah. these people that looked a certain way and could take a very, very nice picture of a green drink were all yeah. of a sudden on like BBC Breakfast News and in every single magazine giving people dietary advice. And it's like, yeah. oh, awesome. Where, where did they go? Where did, what uni did they go to? Oh, they didn't. Yeah. Oh, what? Okay, what you know? Did they did they do one of the diploma courses? No. Okay, so so basically they've got good genetics and they take a good picture, and they're giving people dietary advice. You need yeah. to sort it out, and that was one of the things that that did cheese me off a little bit. And I was very outspoken about it. I mean, you know, I'm not in this thing to to win friends. I'm in this thing to tell no. the truth. It's yeah. um, you know, but a couple of years of that. And as you say, people started to ask questions. There was a backlash against the influencer culture. And people were like, okay, nutrition clearly has a real key fundamental role in our health. The data to support that, it's absolutely unequivocal. You cannot, you have to be 
a moron or from another planet to believe that diet and nutrition has zero influence on our health. You have to be like just not of this world. So people got that. But then they were like, there's clearly a lot of nonsense and there's clearly a lot of um, fadism and and commercial element to this. So people started demanding a higher standard of information. And I was really, really pleased to see that. So, you know, the likes of, you know, myself and Rupi and Hazel and Rhiannon and those guys, you know, there's a cluster of us that have, that have, you know, earned our stripes. I mean, I did nine years at university. Rupi's a doctor, for goodness sake. That's like 12 yeah. years or whatever, like ridiculous yeah. amount of time it is. You know, we've we've kind of earned our stripes to, to, to be able to give people this this sort of support. And it's it's very reassuring that the tables are starting to turn and people are actually searching for evidence-based information now yeah and like yeah now now we're probably at the foothill of something very very exciting i'm very excited to see what the next five and ten years has got in store yeah i am and i I think i think you make a really valid and important point i want to emphasize and that is you know it's amazing how if somebody puts a green juice on instagram automatically if they've got 10,000 followers they're an authority yeah and i think it's a very it's a very dangerous thing to kind of jump on if that makes sense and and kind of trust these people as authority that's why i try and get like you guys on the podcast because i'm not an expert i've learned it and i understand it i'm not educated in it i'm not qualified in it mm. but you guys are and and it's important that you know you, you guys get more of a kind of a platform if you like because you know it's it's it, for me it's gone from you know five ten years ago it was food was related i think anyway to weight loss whereas now it's shifted and it's food is related to nutrition which sounds a bit odd but it's about a whole kind of encompassing whole rounded approach to food it's not like eat this and you'll lose 10 kilos or whatever it's, it's now it's eat this, you'll look better, you'll feel better, you know, you'll, you'll kind of stave off critical illness, which I think is another thing that we can talk what about. It, what it represents, really, it represents the aspect of healthcare that we can actively engage in. It's, yeah. You know, it's our, our lifestyle and our self-care is our way of engaging in our own health destiny. OK, you can't yeah. you, you can't do jack about genetics. You can't do jack about some idiot having too much to drink and getting in the car and banging into you. You can't do anything about that. What you can do something about is how you live day to day, how you live day to day and how you treat your body and the steps that you take can drastically influence your susceptibility to a lot of the illness that's actually plaguing our society today. You look at the things that are putting the most strain on the NHS. It's yeah. not it's not green parrots disease. It's not dengue fever. It's like, you know, it's type 2 diabetes. It's obesity. It's cardiovascular disease. It's like the ever-increasing number of cancers. And so much of that, particularly with the type 2 diabetes, obesity, and heart disease it's lifestyle derived now i absolutely am not one of these people that throws blame around at all it's not just like you've got diabetes you're moron you've done it to yourself it's not it's not like that at all and anyone that is kind of of that ilk maybe needs to reevaluate that i think but we're certainly in an environment that doesn't or that previously hasn't should i say really allowed us to understand how to take care of ourselves properly 
and you know when I was when I was working in clinical practice, I mean, I, I don't have a clinic anymore because I, I just prefer to do this side this side of things now. But when I when I was in clinical practice, so many people were coming to me that had these kind of issues, the cardiovascular disease and this kind of stuff, and they were people that are wanting to look after themselves. These weren't people that were chain smoking and living in the pub all day. These were people that were really trying to look after themselves. But because the 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 valid, reliable information wasn't there. They were just doing the wrong thing because they were being taught the wrong thing and they didn't have the understanding. So for a long time, we've been in an environment that has not been conducive to us being able to look after ourselves properly unless you really go down the rabbit hole and dig a little bit deeper. But what nutrition really represents is the thing that we can do to reduce our risk of these kind of things. And now we've got platforms that we've got that we can we can do podcasts, we can we can yeah. set up a, a YouTube channel or a, an Instagram page or all of it, you know, if if you're mental like some of us are and do all of it and realize that's probably not a good idea, but you're in it now and you can't stop, um, then you can really, really get the word out there. So, you know, it's it's an important thing. It is way more than weight loss. I mean, of course, you start yes. you start eating yeah. right, your body will find that equilibrium point anyway. I mean, listen, yeah. I'm I'm 42 years old. I could not give two hoots if I've got a six-pack. I really couldn't yeah. care less. I'm, I'm past those days. <laughs> it's past yeah. caring. What I care about is still being here in another 42 years doing the things that I love with the people that I love. That's what I care about now. Yeah. And I, that's, that's a really important point. And that's something that I, the approach that I take in, yeah, it's not about the six pack for, for me. It, for me, it's about being fit and healthy so that I'm there for the family. And that might sound a bit strange because you know, you're there for your family, but it's, it can be quite profound if you, if you don't, if you, if you walk around unconsciously mm-hmm. and you assume that, the stuff that's on the supermarket shelves in the green packets because it's vegan or because it's good to you or it's less fat <laughs> is actually right for you. Yeah. You walk around unconsciously like that, then you're, you're, you're not going to be the picture of health. And I think it's, I think the other side to it is, is that we need to, as a, as a nation, take responsibility for our health and not just actually, you know, we need to be more proactive and not reactive. And I think, I think I don't know what your opinion on about this is, and that is I think men have woken up, and I don't know whether it's a social media element or, or it could be age. I mean, definitely for me it was age. When I got to forty, it was almost like I woke up. Yeah, yeah. But I think men have are, and are taking a lot more uh, responsibility for their diets. You know, they're getting in the kitchen more, um, they're t- paying more attention to nutrition and stuff like that. And it's not around the six pack kind of element; it's around them being and doing it for their family. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, we're 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 in such we're in such a cultural shift, like a massive cultural shift in the last in the last four or five years. You know, we're 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 speeding into a, a brand new paradigm without a shadow of a doubt, and with that has come, you know, different levels of awakening, different levels of understanding that, as you rightly say, there's certain things we can't take for granted. There's certain things that we need to take responsibility for. Um, and I, I do genuinely think that social media has changed the game a little bit for men. I think there's just as much pressure on men to look a certain way as, you know, I, it's the same that has been on women for a long time, you know, for, for a long time, it was women with magazines and with fashion and this kind of stuff. Men are starting to get those same pressures now. And I know a lot of men, particularly the younger guys are discovering nutrition and self-care, maybe from slightly more, 
shallow or yeah. um, less, yeah. you know, Cognitive. less meaningful yeah. origins. But once they discover it and realize the difference that it makes, they get hooked and they just get deeper and deeper into the subject. And you know, they realize that that this is this is bigger than this is bigger than just a six pack. And to be honest, they're probably about twenty two and got a six pack anyway. They're lucky. <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. You know, it's. Um, the, I, th- I think there's so many things. There's so many, so many changes in our culture that has that has led to what you describe, and and also I think um, you know men have always men have always known, but it's it's like if you think about the 80s and the 90s. It just wasn't the done thing for men to look after themselves. To no, talk not, about uh, yeah, you know, I think men, men sort of they, you know, they they went to work, they went they went down the pub a couple of nights a week at the weekend. They were very, you know, they they were stoic. They were, you know, yeah. they they were burly. They all of these things, all of these stereotypes were real. I mean, I know yeah. people like you know talk about it in a, in a light hearted way, but I remember when these things were real. This was actually what the culture was like at that time, and obviously we've moved away from that, and we're yeah. you know, we're in this brand new age, and with with it has come you know this new acceptance, and. I th- I think most people in this country realize the problem that we have. Yeah. To be fair, I think most people in this country realize that we're you know, up the creek without a paddle when it comes yeah. to our health because you know, realistically, when you walk down the street, how many people do you see and you think they look well? Yeah. Everyone yeah. looks buggered. They do completely and utterly knackered. And you yeah. know, that's just that's just the the time that we're in. And I think people are starting to wake up to the fact like, hang on, I need to take I need to actually take some of this on board and look after myself. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, it's definitely. I think as you said there, I think the the advent of social media is far more different avenues now that this is I wouldn't say being shoved in our faces, but it's more rel- it's more prevalent, shall I say. Um, when you open up an app, when you go on a social media channel and things like that. So, yeah, it's, it's unconsciously being fed into a lot of people. And, and I think the, the obesity thing um, and the type 2 diabetes, I could do a whole few hours on a podcast around that because for me, you know, just going off on a tangent, the impact that we're having on our children now is profound and we're creating ourselves an even bigger problem. But just kind of... Boiling it back down to to kind of nutrition and stuff like that, you know, there's there's so much stuff now around diet specific diet. So you know, there's paleo, there's keto, there's vegan, and all the rest of it. And and I guess they all they've all got their place and where how they materialize. I, I don't really understand or know. Maybe you do, but for me, if you break all of this down, you know. A lot of it's just a healthy, balanced diet. So that's what, well, I, this is. Oh, you've you've got it right. You've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. What I, this is something that I often say um, in interviews. It's something that comes up a lot. People ask me this question. You know, like, well, hang on. There's all this contradiction, and it's just like, on the surface it looks like contradiction, but when you look at anything, you've got you've got to take a three dimensional observation of everything. Don't just look at what's straight in front of you. Look what's behind it all. It's like so. If you look at if you look at a keto diet, a macrobiotic diet, two polar opposite ends of the spectrum, both you see these amazing health transformations when people when people adopt those diets. You see you hear stories of people reversing diabetes or getting off medications, losing loads of weight, rediscovering their life, whatever. You you see these amazing 
success stories, but the diet's so different. So you think, well, what the hell's going on? Yeah. Don't look about. Don't look at what the people are doing. Look at what they're not doing. Yeah. What's the one thing that unifies every single one of these diets? They're cutting out the crap that's making us sick in the first place. Yeah. If true. you stop taking the poison, you ain't going to yeah. be sick anymore. Exactly. And that's 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 really it. And all of them, all of them will be focusing on whole foods. You don't look at any diet that's kind of. Well, I'm sure one exists somewhere, but that's like you know. Krispy Kreme donuts and white bread and things like yeah. that. All of these diets will be based on whole foods. So yeah. it's like, hang on, if you cut the crap, move over to a whole foods diet that doesn't have to be vegetarian. It doesn't have to be high fat, low fat, whatever. It doesn't need to, you don't even need to worry about that. For mo- for the biggest chunk of the population, you don't even need to worry about that. It's just like, go to a whole foods diet. Yeah. And 99% of things will fall into place. Of course, there's nuances. Of course, there's individual like adjustments that need to be made. But you know, work with a, with a practitioner and, and make those adjustments. But for most people that are just wanting to adopt a healthier diet and actually make a significant, meaningful change, drop the crap, move over to a whole foods diet. A whole foods diet basically meaning food that's in its original state. Yeah, it doesn't mean yeah. that doesn't mean become a raw foodist or any of that kind of nonsense. It's about like you know when you're using grains, go for the multi grains, go for the whole grains, go for grains that have not been refined. So brown rice, brown pasta, multi grain breads, good quality proteins. You know, um, yeah. you know, good cuts of meat, eggs, a bit of cheese. I said it: cheese, dairy, shock horror. Yeah. You get a diet. Do you know what? I, I eat all of it. I eat, I eat pretty much everything. Most of my my diet is, and this is the other thing. The, the one the one thing that you'll find in all of these diets is that they are dominated by plants. Yeah. And I think the person that's probably defined it the best, of course, is Michael Pollan. Right. Michael Pollan had that wonderful saying: "Eat food, not too much, mostly plants." So, but the, the message there, when he says eat food, like real food, whole food, yeah, not, exactly. not food like substances that are in a packet that have got more ingredients than, than like an A-level chemistry set. Yeah. Just whole foods. Don't stuff yourself to oblivion with it and make well, plants the, the center of the show. Yeah. I mean, that's the other thing, right? We're talking about all these different types of diets and foods and everything else. Yeah. But I believe, and you know what, I've been as guilty as this, as anybody, we eat too much. Like we, our plates are way too big. You know, we eat too much. You know, we eat too regularly as well. Yeah. You know, back when our parents were younger, you know, it was three meals a day. Well, you didn't have, we didn't have access to all of this food. You know, you didn't walk down the high street and you could pop into a Costa, you know, you could pop into whatever kind of bakeries popped up then it was just basic stuff and you had it three times a day and people um, were eating bread and dripping and they weren't fat well exactly right yeah they, they weren't yeah. getting cardiovascular disease at the rates that they are now yeah and and where do you stand on because this kind of comes up quite frequently is oh eating healthily is expensive i don't subscribe to that absolute tosh yeah yeah. Absolute tosh. I mean, I've done three series of a TV show on it. I mean, well, yeah. So I, I, I did the, the TV show Eat, Shop, Save on ITV. 
And yeah. that was one of the key fundamentals. I have to admit, it was Kate Hardcastle, the uh, consumer person that was doing the actual money saving bit. I was just doing the food and the nutrition. But what we what we proved every single episode is people can slash their their, their shopping bills to next to nothing. I'll show you what, one that I actually did a few years ago. With um, it, it was a piece for ITV News, and we were working with these two girls that were living at the YMCA in Croydon. They're okay. combined. So between the two of them, their combined weekly budget for food was fifteen pounds, and they were they were basically reliant on just going to Iceland and stock in the freezer with as much of this like cheap processed stuff as they as they could they were running out of money they were running out of food and right. they felt awful they just couldn't function in the way that they wanted to these were these were young women i mean they were they were 21 22 and they just didn't have that vitality that they should have they didn't have that kind of they weren't able to go and go and grab life in the way they wanted to yeah. And they they reached out to ITV News. They just just said, "Look, we want to make a change, but we don't know where to start. This is this is literally the money we've got. Is there anything that we can do?" And we yeah. did this piece. You know, I said and I said to them, "How much do you get from the local market?" And they said, "We've never been <laughs> in Croydon. I mean, wow. in the middle of Croydon, there's a great big market, smack bang in the middle of it." So I was like, "Well, look, this is the place to start." Took them shopping. Just went round Croydon market. We filled four carrier bags with ingredients and we spent about eight pounds 60 okay so they had change right we went back and we cooked up a massive vat of this spinach and sweet potato curry yeah. uh one of the one of the ones that i've ended up cooking on tv god knows how many times since <laughs> it's um it works out 60 pence a portion. They cooked a big vat of it, and they were able to freeze portions of it. So they were starting to stockpile their own freezer with home-cooked good food. They were spending much less money. They had money to have a bit of a social life. Right. You know, these young girls that age, they want to be going out and doing stuff. Yeah. And they were able to do it. And they were able to fuel themselves with good food. So they actually started to feel better. They started to feel more confident and good in themselves. You just have to look around. If you if you rely on going to go into like these posh organic delis all the time and stuff like that, yeah, you probably will have to sell a kidney to, to be able to fund yourself. <laughs> yeah. But if you're sensible, if you look around, I mean, I'm, I live in Cambridgeshire and, you know, we've got loads of great markets like the town that I'm in. There's there's a market every Thursday. We've got little farmer's markets. There's box delivery programs. There's so many options that are open to you. Go to one of the value supermarkets, Lidl, Aldi, any of those. Their fruit and veg is wicked. The, the, the packaged stuff, maybe not all that great, but the fresh stuff is really, really good. It's better than some, let me tell you, it's better than some of the higher end supermarkets and it lasts a lot longer. And you can stock up on those kind of things and save yourself some money. It will be cheaper than buying the processed crap with a brand name on it. That is for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah, processed food for me is just, yeah, I want to speak out of turn. Yeah. And also, listen, there's one thing we need to be really clear about and, and, and candid about is I'm not casting judgment on people that maybe are eating like that or that find themselves in a position where they feel that's their only option what i'm trying what i really want to do is anyone that's in that position i want to say to you that you have options if you want to enjoy if you want to eat that kind of food and you enjoy eating that food you crack yeah. on not, not problem you you go you go nuts but if if you if you feel that you're stuck with that kind of stuff because of 
um, a strain on your budget because of a lack of confidence in the kitchen or time pressures or family pressures, any of those kind of things. If you believe that those are your only options, I absolutely implore you to look at alternatives and really try and find new ways out of it because there are so many options. And I've, you know, if we worked with, with those girls that had that really, really low budget, there's always a way. There's always, always, always a way. If you want to drop me a line, you know, dale at the medicinal chef.co.uk. So tell me what's going on. Tell me what yeah. your scenario is, your situation. I'll give you a solution. If you're on Instagram, send me a send me a, a, a direct message on Instagram. I'll give you a voice message back. Yeah. You know, if tell me what the scenario is, what what are the pressures that are stopping you from eating well? Drop me a line and I'll give you a solution. There's always, always, always a solution if you want to really go for it. Yeah, exactly. I, I completely agree. And I think, um, you know, once you start to to be aware of that, you know, then there's the next stage of actually taking time to kind of understand it and, and yeah. kind of learn the basics. And it sounds really stupid. And I was thinking about this the other day, you know, cooking and that and, and nutrition in schools needs to be taught a lot more um, so that people understand the principles. So what would you say are the fundamental principles around, you know, somebody that wants to improve their diet? Traditionally, they just go to the supermarket, they buy whatever food that are on the shelves. But if somebody has stopped and said, you know what, I want to change this. What, what, you know, there's so much information out there. What are the basic principles that I need to be following? <sighs> Crikey. Ask me a big question, why don't you? Blimey. Uh, <laughs> you know it's, some of the principles actually really are quite simple. It's not yeah. as complex as it seems on the surface. The subject of nutritional medicine, nutrition as a science, is hellishly complex. Yeah. The basics of healthy eating are very, very simple. So some of the simple things, your day-to-day carbohydrate staples, so your bread, pasta, rice, those kind of things, swap white for brown, okay? Right. White bread over to multi-grain granary bread. Yeah. White rice for brown rice, white pasta for brown pasta, easy peasy. With those starchy carbs as well, I would try and rein in the portion size of those a little bit. I would try right. half it if you can. Yeah. You know, so don't be as starch dominated as we've been taught to be, but don't go Atkins either. Just kind of go in the middle. Um, the type of fats that you use, the cheap, nasty vegetable oils, these kind of oils that were sold to us under the promise of being heart healthy and turned out to be anything but vegetable oil, sunflower oil, corn oil, those kind of things, margarine, throw them in the bin when it comes to cooking just a little bit of olive oil or a little bit of butter you know butter on your bread real butter on your bread cook with olive oil for 99 percent of your stuff if you do a lot of really high temperature work like roast potatoes that kind of stuff then go for a little bit of coconut oil coconut oil isn't this you know don't worry i'm not one of those people that's like oh oh, oh, you've broken your leg yeah just take some coconut oil yeah i mean car's broken down take some coconut oil (laughs) But a little bit of coconut oil because it's stable at high temperature. But for most of you, are cooking olive oil. Then quickly, sorry to interrupt. Can I just ask you a question around the vegetable oil stuff? Because and and I'm just really, this is for my own information as much as everybody else's. My understanding is that the, the one of the fundamental issues around those oils is that when they're cooked at high temperatures, um, is the is the is it the omega sixes within the oil? or the molecular structure of the oil 
that, that changes that when it's consumed by humans, it creates inflammation in the body. Right. You, you, there's what what that is, that you've got two things intertwined there. Okay. Right. Now they're, they're two separate issues. Those oils, yes, you can get oxidation and damage to certain certain structures in there that can become toxic on heating. But to be honest, that's the least of the worries. The biggest problem with those oils is the omega-6 fatty acid content. Now, right, here we go. You, you, you thought this was going to be a quick quick question. <laughs> right, it's hard to strap in, unfortunately. Yeah, go on, so, Essential fatty acids. These are vitamin-like substances derived from fats. Okay. Right. The main essential fatty acids that we would have heard of would be omega-3 and omega-6, okay? Yeah. Most people have heard of those. There's also omega-7 and omega-9 as well, but they're, they're not part of the inflammatory picture. They're, they're involved in other things. So when it comes to inflammation, omega-3 and omega-6 are the ones to be aware of. Now, omega, omega fatty acids, the omega-3 and omega-6, these are metabolic building blocks, okay? They've got several roles to play in the body. Um, some are communication roles. Some are structural roles. So, for example, DHA, the omega-3 fatty acid DHA, docosahexaenoic acid, that is a structural fatty acid predominantly. It's involved in, you know, making the structure in like the, the rods and the cones in the eyes, the myelin sheath of the nervous system, key structures within cell membranes. Those are the kind of things that DHA do, does. Um, EPA predominantly is a communication right. fatty acid. So one of the one of the main when it comes to the, we've, we've spoken about the, you know some examples of structural roles that, that fatty acids can play. But when it comes to the communication roles, the main the main thing that these fatty acids get turned into are a group of chemicals called prostaglandins. Okay, and prostaglandins these are communication compounds that regulate. You know they they've got a bit of a role to play in pain signaling, a little bit of a role to play in smooth muscle contraction. But the main thing that prostaglandins regulate is the inflammatory response. Okay. Right. Three types of prostaglandin, series one, series two, and series three. Series one prostaglandins are mildly anti-inflammatory. Series two prostaglandins are aggressively pro-inflammatory, so they switch on and exacerbate inflammation. Series three prostaglandins are aggressively anti-inflammatory. Okay? Different fatty acids will be metabolized to form different types of prostaglandin. Okay. okay, and this is where this whole thing becomes relevant. Now, the omega three and omega six both essential fatty acids, meaning the body can't synthesize them itself. We need to get them from the diet. The important thing is how much of each we consume. That's the really important thing. So, omega six is absolutely vital for our health in very very small amounts. Um, yeah. It, you know, it will convert into GLA. It's got roles to play in neurological health and hormonal health. It is important, but only in very, very small doses. Right. Those small, the, the pathway that actually converts omega-6 into those beneficial end products is very rapidly saturated. Okay. okay. Once that pathway is saturated, that metabolic pathway is saturated, if additional omega-6 is being fed into you know, into all of these different enzyme systems that process fatty acids, then because that one pathway is saturated, the excess omega-6 will be shuttled down a different pathway. It will get converted over into something called arachidonic acid. 
And then arachidonic acid then converts over into the series two prostaglandin, which switches on and exacerbates inflammatory inflammatory cascades. It activates inflammation. Now, the omega-3 fatty acids, on the other hand, the EPA and the DHA, these go to form the anti-inflammatory prostaglandin. So DHA will predominantly turn into a series one prostaglandin that has that mild anti-inflammatory activity. But EPA goes down the pathway that will give rise to the series three prostaglandins, these really powerful anti-inflammatory prostaglandins. But then also you've got another set of anti-inflammatory substances released from both EPA and DHA, but quite powerfully from DHA called resolvins. So you've got the delta resolvins that are are derived from DHA. So these whole family of different beneficial anti-inflammatory compounds from omega-3, a whole pro-inflammatory issue from too much omega-6. Now, what happened when we were told to consume these heart-healthy vegetable oils because they didn't have the saturated fat in, they were going to save our soul. They were going to liberate us all, free from heart disease forever, had the opposite effect. If you actually look, I mean, if you take World Health Organization data, and this stuff is freely available for anyone to do do the maths with, and you you know you look you've got this beautiful curve this beautiful upward curve as soon as people started adopting those changes around the late 80s to the early 90s started using margarine instead of butter vegetable oil instead of you know other types of oil cardiovascular disease started going through the roof and then when people started adopting that thing of like building a diet more around starches and cutting back on on fats and all that kind of stuff and you know healthy starch for breakfast healthy starch for lunch it basically was like throwing petrol on a bonfire because what we did, I mean, on average in the UK, still we're consuming around about 23 times more omega-6 per day than we actually need. So what does that tell you? We're saturating that pathway that has beneficial outcomes very quickly and we're feeding more into that pro-inflammatory cascade. Why does that even matter? Well, this is where we get to the nuts and bolts of it. The the inflammation we're talking about is not acute inflammation. There's two types of inflammation in the body. There's acute and there's chronic. Acute inflammation is when you drop a brick on your on your toe and things start to, to throb and to swell. That's a repair mechanism. That's vital. That's where you get mass vasodilation. A whole swoop of immune cells can rush to the area and start to deal with the actual trauma or infection or whatever's going on in that local environment. That we don't want to quash in any way unless it's becoming you know, agonizing and we, we kind of tone it down a little bit with painkillers. The other type of inflammation, the chronic inflammation, this is the stuff that actually is associated with degenerative health conditions. So cardiovascular disease, we know that cardiovascular disease is inflammatory in origin. It's inflammatory damage to the endothelium that sets the whole cascade in motion that leads to plaque formation. So the endothelium, that's the the um, bioactive skin that lines the inside of blood vessels. Yeah. When that gets damaged by inflammatory episodes, by oxidation of cholesterol or oxidation of triglycerides that um, causes inflammatory damage to that endothelium, the body puts in normal repair mechanisms. You get fibrin and those kind of that lattice laid down, you know, as if a scab was forming, that kind of stuff. And then you get cholesterol that's just minding its own business going through the cardiovascular system, starts to get embedded in it all. And eventually you end up with a plaque in the artery. Right. If you can 
avoid some of that inflammation in the first place, then you reduce those events. I mean, there's a lot more, there's a hell of a lot more to it than that, preventing cardiovascular disease. But then also for people that have got established atheromas, established like um, atherosclerotic lesions within the vessels, toning down inflammation can make those more stable. One of the things that we talk about for um, patients with heart disease is actually making making any lesions more stable, you know, v- stability within the vessels to actually reduce the risk of rupture and clot formation and the risk of infarction. So, right. you know, that's, that's the cardiovascular element. The big one, and this isn't any kind of sensationalist claim, you can find this information in any... A-level pathology textbook. This is basic stuff, basic level stuff. If you look at prolonged inflammation in tissues, that is one of the key drivers of the genetic changes that occur that can instigate cancer. I mean, if you think about smokers, there's constant inflammation within the lungs. Um, within the within the respiratory tract and it's that inflammation that eventually can suddenly just activate a certain gene that right. gene becomes active cellular replication goes mental and a tumor forms right so you know inflammation is a key driver of cancer and then obviously we've we've you know we're starting to look in places like um depression and mental health issues with regards to inflammation as well neuroinflammation there's a there's a massive question mark over it it's certainly not yeah, we couldn't turn around and say, yes, inflammation is a driver, but some evidence is pointing to it being a possible driver or at least an aggravating factor in those kind of mental health issues as well. So managing inflammation is vitally, vitally important. And one of the simplest ways to do that, I mean, obviously adopting a whole foods diet, you don't want all of the, you know, the crap that these processed foods contain that that can trigger a lot of this stuff. But making that simple swap with the oils, get rid of margarine, cut out these omega-6 rich oils, just use olive oil. The most dominant fatty acid in olive oil is oleic acid, which is an omega-9 fatty acid, has no bearing on it. There's a little bit of six in there, there's a little bit of three in there. But if you take the second step, which is drastically increasing your omega-3, either by eating more oily fish or doing what I do and take ungodly amounts of supplements, you're actually kind of pushing that seesaw in the right way you've got more omega-3 fat long chain omega-3 fatty acids i mean this is this is the next soapbox i can get on if you want me to Um, (laughs) like the actual type of omega-3 fatty acids they have to be long chain not nuts and seeds you can eat nuts seeds and avocados until they come out your ears you won't be getting enough omega-3 but get onto that in a sec um so up in your omega-3 reducing your omega-6 you're actually creating a state where you're reducing that chronic inflammation right there you go. Okay. That wasn't a quick yeah, answer, I mean, that, was it? Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that, yeah, for me, that's it, I, the inflammation side of you know nutrition is, that, is is an area which I'm fascinated by at the moment because of you know how you know what as you just described the diet can dramatically uh, impact that. So, so just coming back to the, the original question around principles and stuff. So, so you said about oh, yeah, you know carbohydrates, switching it out for brown and, and kind of whole grain rices. Then you've obviously talked about cooking with the fats, and then um, we talked about you know having uh, fish for for your different omega three fats. And then did we get onto proteins and animal based proteins and plant based proteins? What's your kind of just view make sure there's protein in there? It doesn't. It, yeah. I, I'm completely in, indifferent whether it comes from a plant source or animal source. I I was vegan for 20 years. I'm not anymore, yeah. but I still right. eat predominantly plants. And yeah. that's that's the final part of those principles. I would say make plants the stars of the show. 
So when you look at your plate, at least half of it to be filled with plants. And when I say plant, I mean like the, you know, of course, rice is a plant, you know, it's derived from a plant. I'm just saying like, you know, non-starchy green leafy vegetables, broccoli, kale, cavolo, nero, Brussels sprouts, courgettes, peppers, onions, aubergines, all of that good stuff. Those non-starchy things, half of your plate dominated by that. And then the other half, divide that into two, a lump of protein, probably the size of the front of your fist. And a carbohydrate serving the size of the palm of your hand, make sure it's a low glycemic, multi grain, slow yeah. burn source. Done. Simple as that. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it does sound, you know, it, and it is as simple as that. And I think the, the kind of, there's lots of plate infographics you can get, but that's a really simple way of making sure that you've got a good balanced yeah. diet. Yeah. So, Again, this is another thing that's coming to the forefront now, and it's around gut health and the fact that, you know, that people are now calling it our first brain and everything else. You know, I, I've done a gut health test and, you know, I found out some pretty profound things in it, not that I'm unhealthy anyway. Yeah. But, but where do you, you know, what, what's your view on, on gut health and what, how it relates to our overall health and well-being? Well, we, yeah, we need, we need to address the brain thing because this is absolutely yeah. doing my nutting. I just want to put that in. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so if the, people, there's a statement saying, oh, did you know the gut and the brain are linked? It's like, well, I hope so. What do you think controls like um, peristalsis? Is there some geezer with a remote control sat in a bush across the road? I hope they're connected. What I'm saying, there's a a lot of conclusion jumping around this, and it and it's really quite ridiculous. I was having a a chat. A good a friend of mine, Dr. Alan Desmond, is a leading gastroenterologist. He spends his days looking at people's insides, in people's guts, day in and day out. What these guys don't know about gut health isn't worth knowing. When you're working at that level, you pretty much understand what's doing what. Let's face it. And, you know, I had this conversation with him as well. And he was like, yes, he he shares my pain. There's so many people at the minute say, oh, did you know that about 80% of your serotonin is produced in your gut? So your gut's really, really important in in depression and your mood. And, and, And that is where bang my head on the desk. Because it's like, well... Serotonin is a neurotransmitter that has multiple roles to play in the body, okay? In the digestive system, it regulates aspects of peristalsis. It regulates peristaltic tone. So the rhythmical contraction of the gut, serotonin is one of the key drivers of that. Also, it has some role to play in maintaining localized pH and some influence on cell turnover within the gut. But that's its main role in the gut. Also, what nobody is talking about is that serotonin has also got a role to play in bone mineralization right. and the laying down of calcium onto the skeletal matrix and the hardening of these mineral deposits. What nobody's talking about is that serotonin no, has also got a role to play in platelet function within the blood. You don't hear anyone saying, oh, look after your skeleton and you won't get depressed. No. <laughs> it's just because the gut has become like this this kind of sexy thing to talk about yeah. and it's really like one on one makes 175 kind of thinking around it my simple message is serotonin in the gut it does gut stuff in the brain it does brain stuff it, <laughs> it plays different roles depending on where it is found in the body if you think like 
I mean, let's face it. Obviously, if you're constipated, if you've got agonizing pain in your digestive tract, you ain't going to be whistling Dixie, right? You're not going to be feeling on top of on top of the world, and you're not going to be, um, you know, walking down the road with a spring in your step higher. That's a given. You know, we understand that, like, looking after your health in multiple ways is going to make you feel happier and healthier. I know that there is a link between diet and depressions. I've written a book on it. So I'm not I'm not <laughs> saying that there's that there's not the link. I'm just addressing this one single thing that everyone's talking about is this serotonin in the gut. Serotonin in the gut is there to regulate peristaltic tone. It's to make sure everything you eat reaches its final destination. Yeah. That's what it's there for. In the gut, it does gut stuff. If you're worried about depression, you want to elevate serotonin in the brain. You do that by consuming good food sources of tryptophan along with a little bit of carbohydrate so that the insulin spike that you get from the carbohydrate will push the tryptophan across the blood-brain barrier and get it where it needs to be. You want to be taking additional B vitamins, which are the cofactors in synthesis of serotonin within the central nervous system. You want to be making, you know, all of these kind of things, all of these kind of things that will yeah. directly target serotonin in the brain. Yeah. And, and, and I think, yeah. sorry. I'll say, sorry. of course, you want to look after the health of the gut. Absolutely. Completely and utterly. Yeah. That's where your nutrients are being absorbed from. Looking after like gut flora. I, you know, we know that gut flora has a huge role in um, regulating immunity. It has interactions with the immune cell population within the payers patches, which is gut-associated lymphoid tissue, and they, it has such a profound effect that it can carry different types of signaling around the body, so it regulates systemic immunity. Absolutely, we know this. Good reasoning for looking after the health of the gut. Also, a good healthy gut is less likely to give rise to autoimmune conditions. There's a whole list of reasons why looking after the health of the gut is important. A whole list of reasons. But absolutely for me you know it comes back to what we were just talking about earlier doesn't it it comes back to you know all of that stuff that you've just described there is way over my head way over probably most of the people that are listening to this podcast head but but to kind of boil it back down to to kind of really simplify it and that is provided you have a good balanced diet all of that stuff should work, shouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, there are individual There's so many reasons why we can. You know, for, say, for example, if someone has inflammatory bowel disease and it's kind of autoimmune issues, the rules change. But then they're going to be working with a practitioner. They're going to be working with a dietitian and a gastroenterologist. Their care is going to be covered. If someone has, you know, very, very aggressive IBS, they're going to be with a specialist or certainly should be, you know, so, so that's a very, very different set of rules. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is general health for the general population. And as you rightly said, yeah, just move over to a whole foods diet. And for most people that will answer most of their needs there there might be tweaks here and there i mean some people are more more carbohydrate tolerant than others some i mean there is also this other thing that's banded around at the minute which yeah is kind of true but also it's just to me sounds like an excuse for for just not studying properly and taking responsibility for getting your knowledge right people are saying well what works for one person is not going to work for the other well yeah of course we are all genetically different, but only within the confines of the human genome, right? You know, the, the, the parameters are very, very narrow. We've got genetic variation within the genetic sequence that is a human being. 
you know, we're, we're not one person's not going to be like an amoeba and the next person like a chimpanzee. It's not that drastically different. It's like, yes, there are nuances and that can deliver some degree of influence on diet, but it's so minimal that, you know, the, the, the consequences of not getting that right with your diet is likely to lead to a minor embuggerance rather than a cataclysmic health event. For most people, just adopting a whole foods diet is going to solve a lot of problems. And that's not that's not buying into any kind of dietary philosophy whatsoever, apart from stop eating the man-made processed shit, get back to what nature has given us, and just just start cooking good stuff from scratch where possible, and you're going to experience some massive changes. Yeah, I completely agree, and I think I love yeah, I just love the way you you, you kind of summarised it there. I just think yeah, just keep it simple. And as a human race, we love to overcomplicate things. So I'm really conscious of your time, Dale. But before we we wrap up, what would you say are five key actions people listening to this can take away today? Uh, to make a positive change in their diets and I know we've talked about you know already how you can balance your diet in terms of the principles of your diet but what five changes would you recommend okay right so number one and we've talked about this but look at where your information is coming from yeah yeah if um make sure that it's coming from a reliable resource so that's number one number two if you're just starting out if you're just thinking to yourself, I need to make some changes here. I need to, I need to get my shit together. I need to make some really positive changes now. I will say, start with where you're at. I know that sounds ridiculous, but look at what you already enjoy eating. If you, yeah. if your favorite meal is spaghetti bolognese, don't give it up. Give it a facelift. Yeah. yeah. Learn how to make it healthier. Learn how to make simple tweaks to the food that you love, so that it, it turns it into a healthier option. And then it's going to be a smooth transition. Nobody says that you've got to suddenly become like a, like just living on lettuce and rye vita and sitting cross-legged in the garden. It's not about that at all. Yeah. It's just like carry on eating what you like. Just learn how to make it healthier. Yep. You know, indulge your health. So that's number two. Number three, again, for people at the, at the beginning, change one thing. Make one yeah. one change at a time. Don't suddenly wake up in the morning. If, you, if, you're, if you're living on, on takeaways and Stella, don't wake up in the morning and be like, right, from now on, I'm going to be a kale-munching raw foodist, yeah. and that's it. Because it ain't going to work. There is probably like about half a percent of the global population that can change their lifestyle that much overnight, and usually they're probably psychopaths anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. So, so, yeah, keep away from anyone that can do it that quickly. There's definitely something wrong in the wiring. Um, for most of us, we need to kind of gravitate towards towards change if you want change to stick anyone can go on a crash diet for a week and then most people like you look at the new year's resolutions and how busy the gym is that's why i avoid the gym in january (laughs) i mean it's just like let that lot get on with it they're going to be bored by the second week and they're going to be you know back back down mackie d's once they've gone we can go back in (laughs) but you just need to look at that that as a as a perfect illustration is that when you try and do everything all at once often you fall flat on your face because it's uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable and we need to accept that. We need to stare it in the face, of course, but we need to accept that as well and make life a little bit easier for ourselves. So I just say change one thing. If that one thing is like, right, I'm going to swap my white rice for brown rice, white pasta for brown pasta, whatever, do that. Once that becomes the norm and it's no longer a challenge, move the goalposts. 
and say, right, what am I going to do next? I'm going to make sure that I have a good dense side salad with every meal, or yeah. I'm going to only snack on fresh fruit between meals, nothing else. Or yeah. I'm going to make sure that I drink this whole bottle of water every day, whatever it is, just change one single thing. That's not going to be a massive upheaval for you change it once it becomes the norm change something else whilst that might seem like baby steps when you look back over six months 12 months your lifestyle's changed dramatically yeah but you've done it in a way that not only is sustainable but it's comfortable as well and it's simple i mean you know to quote tony robbins complexity is the enemy of execution and it's like, if you make life difficult for yourself, you ain't going to make the change. Simple as that. So that was number three, wasn't it? Number four, make plants the star of the show. Always make plants the star of the show. I'm not saying go vegan, not at all. I, I had a cracking steak the other night. I, I'm not not a vegan at all, but plants are the stars of the show because yeah. that's where you've got so much nutritional diversity in terms of micronutrients, phytochemicals, dietary fiber, all of this good stuff. So whatever you do, whatever you eat, just make sure you're eating more plants. Simple as that. Yep. Then the final thing is don't worry about it too much. It's like if you if you have a glass of wine or yeah. a slice of cake or whatever and your diet's generally good and you're looking after yourself all the time and you do that once a week, it's going to have zero effect on your overall health whatsoever absolute goose egg nothing but if you're doing that all the time and you eat a bit of broccoli on a sunday that ain't going to cut it that's not going to improve your health so you know it's what you're doing most of the time that's going to make most of the difference so realize that you can relax a little bit as well you don't have to be completely obsessive about it otherwise that leads to a whole different array of health issues yeah yeah you just invoke unnecessary stress don't you really and it becomes a chore as opposed to a kind of a just a slight change so um yeah i think i think a couple of fundamental things you've said is is change one thing because you know a a change as as much as we say we can change we don't like change and we you know just generally get uncomfortable which you know so changing one thing is good and obviously don't worry about it yeah don't don't stress about it you don't want to raise your cortisol levels and all the rest Ah. of it just keep it simple. So, um, yeah, that's fantastic, Dale. I mean, I could talk to you for, for hours and hours and hours. Um, but is it before we kind of finish? Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you feel I should have done? Oh no, that's 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 all good. That's all good. I mean, the thing the thing is, I mean, like you say, we can talk about this kind of stuff for hours and hours and hours. And there is so much contradiction and dichotomy. And nutrition is one of those subjects where you say. Well, this is the case apart from when it isn't. You know, it is one of those things where where there is contradiction and that makes it infuriating as a science to study. But no, I think we've I think we've covered a lot and I think if we cover any more we probably risk melting people's brains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much. How can people um connect with you? Where can they find you? I know you're all over the web, you know, all over the internet, all over social media. So. Flattering myself all over the shop. Um, yeah. right. So the main website is just themedicinalchef.co.uk. Okay. Um, Insta, definitely find me on Insta, like on there sort of constantly, much to everyone else's dismay. That's just at themedicinalchef. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> Faceache, I'm on there as well. So that's yeah. The Medicinal Chef. You, know, you see a theme here, don't you? Uh, starting to do bits on YouTube, but you know I need right. to get my act together with YouTube a little bit. What I've been doing on there at the minute is just when I record my podcast, just doing it as a video as well and, yeah. and bunging out on there. But I'm, I'm vowing to get a proper 
cooking channel going at some point. Yeah. So yeah, those are the main ones. Yeah, and uh, as you mentioned there your podcast. Highly recommend people check out the podcast. Very easy to consume. You can you consume it on the on the move and all the rest of it. Um, some great information on there. Yeah, definitely your Insta. That's I think where I get most of your stuff from is Instagram. You put some fantastic pictures of food and stuff up and recipes and links and all the rest of it. Um, and also, if you want to delve deeper, Dow has actually got a good nutritional course. Uh, yes. Uh, sign up to and uh, and join so yeah, yeah so diploma in culinary medicine i mean if, if you look on uh culinary medicine com, or if, if you just go to my insta and stuff you'll see links that link out to it it's a fully accredited diploma in culinary medicine accredited by the complementary medical association the federation of nutritional therapy practitioners and we're going through the accreditation process with bant at the minute as well fantastic all right Dal, well that's um been an amazing uh, hour it's gone over an hour actually and uh, i really appreciate your time i really appreciate the information and the knowledge you've shared and uh, i look forward to uh, catching up with you again soon yeah well thanks for having me no worries take yeah, care thanks for listening to the fitter healthier dad podcast if you enjoyed today's episode please hit subscribe and i would really appreciate if you could leave a review on itunes All the links mentioned in the episode will be in the show notes and a full transcription is over at fitterhealthierdad.com.